hello everyone. Welcome to the eSpot with Camille. I am your host Camille Cower and tonight's guest really needs no introduction because oh my gosh, I can't wait to just talk to all the talk to her about all the different stories that she goes through during her book. Like I've taken so many notes and just Let's just go ahead and bring her on up. So best-selling LA Times and New York Times best-selling author, as well as won many numerous awards for her for her book, The Nurse's Story. Mrs. Well, Miss, excuse me, Carol Gino is my guest. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for being my guest. On how you got your start with nursing, even. Oh my God. My start with nursing. That was funny. Actually, you know, Camille, that I have friends in and out of body. So, you know, that angels direct my life. I just take whatever step. And the funny thing is that from wanting to be a saint, I wound up being a major feminist. And then I was mad like when I got divorced because the prince had a drinking problem. He was a lovely man, but and I wound up in nursing school because I saw Florence Nightingale. Aside from that, I loved nursing with all my heart. I really did. It's, it's the greatest. It's actually has always been my biggest passion to be able to serve and to help people. I know it sounds hokey, but it's so much more real when you understand how connected you are to another human being and how enough you are just being yourself when you're able to help somebody who can't do something, do it for them, you know? Yeah. So that was lovely. Uh, but how that happened is after I did it for about 16 years, I thought to myself, oh, no, if I don't give people some information, they're going to go down the tubes because they don't know what's happening in, in healthcare. So that's when I decided I was going to write. And I went to Hofstra and New School for Social Research. And um, one of the last cases I had before I started writing was I was called to do private duty for Mario Puzo. And I was just coming off three really tough cases. And I said, no, I don't want to go. And she said, you have to go. They want one of their own. I said, one of their own what? She said, well, you know, he's Italian. I said, yeah, but what does that got to do with me? They want one of their own. They don't want a stranger. I said, oh, all right. I said, what's his wife's name? And she said, Erica. And I said, Erica for an Italian? And he, she said to me, no, no, she's German. I said, this, none of this makes sense. So, but at any rate, the call to family came and I went and met her and um, I took care of her for a bunch of months. The whole family actually took care of her. And um, I got to love her. She was really a lovely woman. And he asked me one night, I asked him if I could, if he could teach me to write. And he said to me, Writing can't be taught, but it can be learned. I said, well, I'm a quick study, so teach me. Mm -hmm. And at that time, you would laugh because what had happened was I was talking to Erica one night before she had died, and I said, what upsets you most about this? Are you frightened? And she said, no. She says, I just hate to leave them on their own without anybody to watch them. And I said, I'll keep an eye on them. Don't worry about that. And mm -hmm. Mario said, oh, after we're going out a couple of years, she sa he said, so you did this all for Erica. And I said, so more or less. And so he said to me, well, thank you. He says, I'm sure she'd be tickled. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and uh, after Erica died, what Mario said is, you really should write a book about nurses because mm -hmm. He said, when the doctors can do no more, nurses are the ones who save the families. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Yeah. Now, like, so when you were coming up with the book, The Nurse's Story, I mean, what did you feel was so important that patients need to know? Because you, I, I saw a, a theme over and over in me and Mario where it was important that they armed themselves and they, and you kept using the terms like warriors for patients and they're the true heroes. Like it just really felt like a war us versus them type situation almost. And I wondered what more um, or what was 
maybe your goal from the nurse's story that patients should know, or even people maybe entering into the medical field should know about, um, about it well, from your perspective? So much, Camille. I mean, the fact is that now I did some of my best nursing as an LVN or an LPN because the fact was that there's more time for patient care. But the nurse-patient ratio is absolutely so important because if you had a sign above an emergency room saying, we don't really have enough doctors to treat you, mm. how many people would come to that hospital without screaming? And yet the floors are so little staffed with nurses and they're the ones who have to deliver the care, especially now when there are fewer doctors in attendance all the time. You have hospitalists who don't know the patients as well. Nursing has such educational needs. And do you know they're the only professionals that come out of a hospital budget as an expense? So anytime a hospital needs to make a profit, they can cut nursing. Nurses mostly don't have unions except in California and where occasionally, but that means that any other job, even maintenance, has unions. If if there's if a patient throws up or has an accident in the hall, a nurse has to clean it up because maintenance is not allowed to touch human excreta. And so there's very little power in nursing. And nurses, because they're so dedicated to their patients a lot of the time, are afraid to walk out. And we haven't really learned to team well enough as women. You know, for a long time, it was mostly a women's pr profession. And guys had a team better than, than women have. Why so. do you think is that? Because, I mean, even from working with Mario, which truth? we'll get to. Yeah, no, that's well, what we're here for. I'll tell you why. Because women yeah. will fight with each other over a bad job and a bad man. They won't take, they don't own their personal power, so they let it be compromised too easily. And then they take a lot of their image of themselves from an external world because they're into so much service and so much caretaking and stuff that they don't have enough, to, their role is an extension of them a lot of the times. And so then they become fearful of losing a job. And you know how it is in corporations where they say, we don't have enough nurses and we're losing nurses, but they won't raise the pay on nurses, but they will pay doctors, you know, and stuff like that. It's, it's a really, we're, look, American healthcare is 46 on the list of 50. And we pay for health. Come on. There's, if a nurse isn't there to fight for you, patients don't know enough because the doctor will come in and tell them something and they use so much medical ease mm -hmm. that a patient doesn't really know what they're saying. And they're already feeling crushed and vulnerable and they don't want to offend a doctor because they're in their most vulnerable position. They don't want to get a doctor mad. So if they don't understand, and if a nurse is busy doing paperwork to cover the S's of a, uh, a profit-making hospital, you know, how much time do they have to spend with the patients? So they don't, it's almost invisible. You know, Mario wrote me a screenplay of the nurse's story called Gwyn, Go Wherever You're Needed. And the people who wanted to do that was like, I got um, a contract from Aaron Spelling and one for uh, Baywatch. Now, would I do that to nurses? Mm -hmm. I, you know how they'd be presented. No. Oh, but I could see Shonda Rhimes doing it. The same lady that does Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Yeah. A but you know, the problem with great. that, Camille, the problem yeah. with that is that while nurses have been voted uh, 17 years in a row or something like that as the most trusted profession, the most ethical profession, mm -hmm. they're almost invisible in what they do because you don't see what's monetized. They, they, it's almost like saying, okay, we'll tell you the housewife story. And they or lose the nurse as Jackie much story. status. Yeah. Right. And most of the time, if a nurse doesn't know what a doctor does, that doctor never gets to see the patient because the nurse has to be smart enough to call the doctor when you're in trouble. 
you know. So I've been talking for 30 years about advocating for patients and saying a defenseless defender is no good for mm -hmm. the patients. They need to, there needs to be a team between nurses and the consumer. I sold a million of those books at least. And the public bought them and at least learned about some of the rights they have. But you shouldn't have to do that if you have a lot of nurses have a calling and they want to take care of patients. I have a niece who's a nurse now who comes home and cries every day because she has to do so much paperwork that she has to ignore patient needs, you know, and stuff like that. And until patients start fighting by asking, what's the nurse-patient ratio in your floor? Will I have a chance to be taken care of? You know, that's a big thing. It's so important. My, um, so I'm in a union, my husband's in a union and it's like that being able to have that collective voice against yeah. big consumers because my husband works for UPS and during like all that was going on, it was like Christmas for them again. So they were without anybody to speak up for the fact that they're working 70 hours a week, that they need some time off that, you know, like they're getting injured. They're they're coming home, they're tired, they're having accidents on the way home. Like, you know, there's there's limits to this. You have to treat people correctly. And I'm, it's the same with nurses. It's the same in the film industry. It's a, a, yeah. a constant theme that people just make these assumptions because it's a passion-driven right? or service industry. The, yeah. Look at how often we heard that nurses weren't getting enough PPEs. Mm -hmm. And every day- They're in trash it, bags. Right. And right. every day, I mean, even now, I mean, I know nurses who they're still not checking to find out if nurses have had all the testing and if their patients that they're seeing has. They still, they don't have retirement after they work a long time yeah, and stuff pension. like that, you know. It's, yeah. Or None even like with, um, so my husband, he was very, he was adamant about not getting the vaccine at first because there was that stipulation that basically if you die, they're not on the hook for it. And he's like, how yeah. would I get something like that? And there's a lot of times nurses are those ones that are exposed to all these deadly viruses or pandemics, mm -hmm. diseases, or even just regular illnesses that can be, um, mm -hmm. that are contagious and so on that. And just thinking about the fact that maybe 10 years, 20 years from now, something could pop up that maybe at the time didn't notice. And there's no, there's no way to cover them that way either. Mind blowing. I had no idea because yeah. I just assumed all nurses had unions and were protected that way. But California has one there, maybe a couple of, but California has the, um, the union, but a lot of places do not. And the other thing is, this is going to be horrifying. I hate to tell you this, but around at least 250,000 to 300,000 people die every year of hospital mistakes. And they know that if they have more nurses, they have half the mistakes. And still they don't hire them. Yeah, you can check any of the uh, how many patients die of medical mistakes in hospitals. So yeah. I know there's like certain things that are higher than others. It's not always like the things you think because you always hear the celebrities that die from like liposuction or liposuction or something. Yeah. That. And it's not always that case. It's sometimes like just overdose of medication or giving the wrong medication or even um, I think there was something about in other injuries as well, but yeah, wow, uh, was yeah, this all I, covered in your um your book or even in your screenplay? Because we need to make well in the screenplay. I just kept that back. I one mm. day I hope that somebody with a real conscience wants to do it. Right now, what they're doing is they're giving female doctors the place. When was the last time you saw a doctor play a guitar for a patient? You know. <laughs> on their bed it's the nurses usually who have to take care you know and stuff like that but um nurses just are underserved underrecognized and they have all the responsibility with mm, just none of the power that they should have to be able to um 
help as much as they can. Because remember, you've been a nurse for 20, 30 years. You know stuff that the young residents and stuff coming in don't know, you know, and stuff. Yeah. And a lot of the young doctors now are really giving some credit to the, uh, you know. Before it was the doctors who we weren't collegial, but uh, at least they were our enemy at the time. Right now in healthcare, even the doctors are being disempowered you know so we really need a redo we really need a redo on that and that's why i decided that telling stories was the way to empower people because so many of us who look like we're living ordinary lives are mm -hmm. living i met so many heroes when i was a nurse i mean heroes that were fighting the greatest dragons with dignity you know that um and and it, it's all under the radar, you know, and before they take us now to the next step in our evolution, if you will, by give, making us perfect, by implanting chips and stuff like that, I do wish that so many women especially would tell their stories because, you know, on the sides of the cave, when they look back in history, I want women's stories to be told. I really do from a woman's point of view, you know, because so much of our language is language that hasn't even been developed yet. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you know when you get a gut feeling? I knew when my patients were going to be okay and when they weren't. I would tell doctors, this patient is not going to make it. And they would fight with me. But in fact, one night a patient would actually, he came in, he was burned. And I was doing private duty on him that night. And uh, he was on all kinds of machines and stuff. And a doctor came down at a certain point when the machine stopped registering everything. And uh, the doctor said, oh, I get no, no pulse or anything. Take him off the machines. He's dead. And I said, no, no, I don't believe he's dead. And they said, the doctor said, Really, he's dead. Look, the Doppler, we have no heart. We have no, I said, I know, but he's still in the room. I'm telling you, the man is alive. The, guy, the doctor grabbed a hold of me. He said, Carol, get a hold of yourself. I said, he's still in the room, man. He goes down to the nurse's station to write out the death certificate. And I go over to this guy and I say, Tony, Tony, listen to me. You got to breathe or they're going to put you in a refrigerator. Nothing. I go down to his feet and I scratch his feet and his feet move. So I run down to the nurse's station and I say to the doctor, um, Tony's alive, his feet moves. He says, reflexes. I said, reflexes. Okay. I went back again. I said, Tony, listen, you got to breathe. They're going to put you in a refrigerator. We went back and forth about this. After a couple of minutes, he breathed. So I went down to the doctor and I said to him, he breathed. And I said, don't tell me reflexes. He came back and the guy breathed. They wrote this up in a nursing magazine years ago just to have people be sure. I didn't, I, it's not like I don't see death as a promise sometimes because I do. But I knew that man was not dead. And he lived 14 hours after that. And they did an EEG and everything to make sure he was dead at the time. But he would have been in a refrigerator for 14 hours had there not been a human there mm. to say, I feel him here, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So just from your expertise, what would you say is a good, um, Olivia asked, like, what would be a good nurse to patient ratio? What should we be? You know, it depends. It depends on the unit. But mm -hmm. if you have an, ex you know, I worked in a lot of intensive care units and stuff. But if you're on a floor, there was a time I was on a floor and I had 36 patients with just me, you know. And I called the interns and the residents and said, "Hey, you got to come up here and help me if you want these people to live till morning," you know. But what I'm saying is, when you hear that they're short-staffed, that should be something you should judge your hospital and and ask them if they have enough nurses to take care of the patients, you know, I think that's an important thing, you no know, really kidding. important. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when they're saying that they're, um, they're out of beds, they're not talking about how many doctors and nurses. Right. Right. You know, so, that's really, that's one of the big things. And then they should ask doctors, they should really realize that they are hiring doctors to take care of them. And 
as doctors, sure, sure sometimes they're going to make mistakes, but they shouldn't be making mistakes because they're so overworked and overwhelmed that there's no way a human could do it. You know, so law shouldn't be our only. But you know that about so many systems we have going now, huh? I yeah. think this whole COVID thing is a spirit reset. Like, get your lives together and figure out as human beings what's important to you. You know, and I was able to see after being with Mario a while and being able to see a lot of stars and action and stuff and what movies could do to help heal people. I was finally able to see writing art, movies and stuff as as healing tools, as, you know, waking people up and being able to entertain them and make them laugh as an antidote to the fear that everybody feels, you know, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Well, let's back up a minute because you mentioned Aaron Spelling. And for those people who may not know, Aaron Spelling is, he was behind a lot of 80s and 90s TV shows like LA Law, 90210. Um, yeah. Like a lot of the nighttime soap opera shows. So that's what she meant by <laughs> yeah. not wanting him behind her nurse's story. Right, of course, Baywatch's Baywatch. Yeah. It's still yeah. on. But, now I think I reboot. Yeah, and then was... Mario that she keeps referring to is the Mario Puzo who wrote The Godfather one, two, three, and many other books. And the um you also mentioned the fortunate pilgrimage, which or fortunate pilgrim, excuse me. Uh, so, so, but you can share more about him than anyone else because you were his writing what? partner, his confidant, yeah. his love, everything in between for twenty yeah. years until he passed. So, yeah, yeah share that part. Yeah, life. that um, Mario was great. I mean. He really was. that, And God is funny, too. Whoever God is, source creativity. They would take a radical feminist like me and put her, put her with the head of the most romantic patriarchy going, you know? And I don't know, uh, Camille, whether I ever told you this and stuff like that, but one night when I was staying over his house and we were doing... Uh, he was doing some of Godfather 3 at that time, and he had written a scene about Sonny coming in to his apartment with a girlfriend and there were three thugs who broke in and they said something like, they grabbed the girl and said something like, give me your money or I'll slit her throat. And Sonny said, fine. And Mario thought that was so funny. I said, that must be a guy's joke because I missed it. But what happened is I was sleeping over that night and a real burglar broke in. And he was a masked burglar, and 4 o'clock in the morning, on the way to, uh, something woke me up, and I figured, all right, I'll go to the bathroom. I looked at the time, and I thought, three minutes after 4, wow, all right. I got up, and I walked past the study to go into the bathroom, and there standing a huge guy, he must have been 200 pounds, he was six foot three or something, masked. The only thing I could see was his eyes. He was wearing all black. He was holding one of those uh, mag lights and stuff. This is now, I swear to you, this is how spirit does it. I, I look at him and this is what I say. I see a Tai Chi circle around him and I know I'm not going to step in that. But I look at him and I say, what the hell are you doing in that getup? He seemed so familiar to me. And I'm telling you, I mean, it's enough that we're all connected. But I look at this poor guy and I say, poor guy who is, oh, man, he was a bad guy. He really was. Yeah, he raped like a bunch freak. of 14-year-old kids, took him out of their house. When, he finally, when they finally caught him and the big angel told me that I had to do my part because they would catch him and he wouldn't see freedom for a long time. And for when the record, he, the rest of the story is in the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Since you left it kind of on a cliffhanger, the rest of the story is in the book. You can Google about this guy. He really does exist. The yeah. likelihood of him having to cross paths with you, unbelievable. But go ahead, please. Yeah. No, no. So, yeah, all of it was in there anyway. What it was with, what it was with, uh, with Mario is that 
Am I not supposed to tell the end of that? You don't let those. No, no, no. You can tell. No, no, no. I was just saying, like, as far as some of it, like some of the yeah, other yeah. details up into oh, yeah, like when yeah. you met him and oh, all of yeah, that and yeah. getting Mario and the knives yeah. and there's more yeah. to the story. I know. But really yeah, that's what I'm saying. Funny. And then but actually, him getting caught. Yeah. So. Right. Oh, no, that was a big story. And when he got mm. caught, I mean, he wound up getting 322 consecutive years. So, you know, he was a bad guy. But nobody, I'm telling you, it was like so weird how that's why I believe that you can probably affect your reality. But do I believe you can manifest it all? Man, I was such a dope going into this whole thing that if spirit hadn't thrown one step in front of another for me, I wouldn't have known where to walk. And mm -hmm. since then, I mean, I've had like eight bestsellers or something. I have a lot of, and what they do is they show me movies that I just have to write. Yeah. So what is your process? So since you brought up, it shows you movies in your head. How does that process start for you? Because eight bestsellers, wow. Like yeah, well, people like, wish for one. Uh -huh. Yeah. I didn't know. When I, when I did hit the bestseller list with N Nurse's Story, um, I went in the bathroom and cried. They were having a big party for me. And I thought to myself, but I've been telling people about these people all along and they didn't want to hear. And it was like watching a beautiful sunset. And then when I took a photo, everybody told me how beautiful the photo was. But I wanted them to know the people, you know, and stuff. And I thought, oh, my God, if they had known that serving other people, taking care of other people, being really knowing people, past their egos, past their, that kind of connection, it's so rare. It's so rare to get that if you get an opportunity, man, to serve, to take care of somebody, relish it because it's as close as you're ever going to get to God, whatever that mm. means, you know. Uh, it's it's just a big feeling. It's just a big feeling, you know. Yeah. So how did you transfer that into writing? Because so many people want to become authors or writers or screenwriters. I know I have a lot of friends that are either starting the journey in screenwriting or have written a lot of great TV shows and want to, are still looking to keep it going. And yeah, you've worked with some of the best. I mean, Mario, he didn't just do all yep. the Godfathers. He also did a lot of great other movies like Superman two and yep. three earthquake, and yeah. earthquake. And then even yourself, like you've worked on so many great books. So I'm just, yeah. when I, I got the chance, I got to find out what is your process. Well, <laughs> Let me yeah. tell you what Mario's was first. Mario right, used carpentry. to lay on the couch. He used to lay on the couch. And I would say he used to read constantly a lot of books. He went through Ferocious 20 reading. books a week easy. And he'd lay on the couch and I'd say, because we had this big study room that he built like a pink, pink, by the way pink palazzo room right on stilts it. so we were looking at treetops all the time and i'd say mario what are you doing and he'd say working and i'd say i don't hear anything and he'd say oh i'm not typing yet i said oh he said no i gotta wait till my characters show up and then i type so that's how he and he's the one who said that he would never collaborate while he was writing until he was dead and the funny part about that was I finished the book, The Family, for him because he died. And that was the only book that I put completed by. I wouldn't let them put Mario Puzo and Carol Gino because I knew that's not what he wanted. It was funny. Um, but he was sort of amazing. My process is different. It was like I woke up the other morning and I thought somebody should write a book called Pitfalls and potholes on the path to awakening. That's how my stories start. You know, I get an idea and I think, oh, that's like your triggers or your teachers, you know, that kind of stuff. If mm. you're, I get, or I listen to somebody and they say something like, truth has no shelf life. And there's a whole story that just comes up around that. Or, you know, how 80% of our brain is uncharted territory. 
which means that we have sensors in it that have not yet developed. And between the denseness of our physical world, there are subtle planes of consciousness that we've never learned to tune into. You know how they say if you're blind, you can hear better, or if you lose your sight, you see better. We're so distracted by our physicality that we don't spend enough time going in, and I'm, I'm able, Mary used to say to me, oh God, that's spooky. I'm able to see myself in different times. Like when we went to Venice, Mm-hmm. That's in the book too. Venice is one of my favorite places because it was the one place I could see myself in time and in eternity. I mean, I knew how small I was, but I knew how big I was as part of humanity. You know, we were mm-hmm. neither of us can swim, neither of us could talk Italian. We're in the wait, middle. Wait, 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 wait. So you can't <laughs> swim and you can't speak Italian? Right. <laughs> neither and of you can we, speak Italian. No. And we were on our way to Venice in a motorboat. And the only thing we could see was water. And so we had taken my girlfriend with us who had gotten breast cancer. And Mario said, ask her if she wants to come and see Venice with us. And I said, man, you're a real make-a-wish kind of guy, huh? And he said, yeah, let's take her. So we took Franny with us. And she was so excited. She said, come look, come look. And I said, no, I'm afraid I'll drown. Mario said the same thing. But then she said, come on, it's my shot. So we went up and we were looking out of the um, top of the motorboat and we couldn't see anything but water. And then suddenly out of the water came the city of Venice, which to me looked like a pastel sequin dragon. I swear to God, it was birthed out of the sea. And I, so I started to cry and I never cried about anything like that. And Mario looked at me and he said, what's up? You wanted to be coming here with somebody that you were crazy about? I said, no, Dopey, they wouldn't need the the props. I said, (laughs) I just could see me in time, and I knew how little I was. And I thought of humans building this city on just, you know, stilts. And I thought, humans are so great when they can get it together, you know, (laughs) like that. And... You know, stuff like that. It was the reason our relationship was so great is we could always get into a story. If one story didn't work, uh, it was funny. I said to him one time, what do you think's the sexiest thing about me? And he said, your competence. I said, competence? He said, yeah. I said, that's not sexy. He said, it's real sexy, Carol. <laughs> you don't know how sexy it is. <laughs> So I said, oh, okay. But a lot of it was, I said, what do you think kept this going for so long? And he said, hmm. He said, you're like Scheherazade. You always start one story, and I'm waiting to find out what the next one is, you know. And um, it was funny because when he was dying and I was taking care of him, I said to him, promise me, promise me that if there's something more after life after death you'll let me know and he said no I said what do you mean no he said no he said it'll ruin the it'll ruin the mystery but and the surprise but what happened is you wouldn't believe this Camille what happened was when I got to do the today show and he had promised me one time I would we were listening to Bocelli when he was not feeling well at one point. And I said, oh man, I'd love to see him in concert. And he said to me, I didn't think you liked concerts. I said, I hate contests, but concerts, but I love him. I said, he inspires me. He said, okay, I'll tell you. He said, if I'm ever free from pain and I feel wonderful and everything's going right, I'll take you to a concert, especially if I can hear well again. And I said, okay, great. So I was book to do the interview and on that same show there was supposed to be destiny's child when i showed up i got there early in the morning we were sitting in the green room and suddenly a producer came in and said destiny's child is canceled we've got to fill in with somebody else and i said who are you filling in with and she said andrea botelli and 
she said, do you want to see him? I can take you to the kitchen. And he's right. You'll be nose to nose with me. He's right outside that window. And she took me there. And the whole time, all I was thinking of is, damn, he made it happen. I don't know how he made it happen, but he made it happen. Yeah. And it was Bocelli. And so when she did the interview with me right afterwards, I was crying like a dope. And she said, what happened? And I said, Mario. He always kept his promises. He didn't make a lot of them, but he always kept them. And so I told her the story on the Today Show, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what so song I, did he sing? Did it happen to be a song that you was one of your favorites? I mean, oh, yeah. it wasn't that always, coincidental I as mean, well, yeah, was it? I you know, time to say goodbye. Always, oh, of course. <laughs> wow. I'm getting like chills. Yeah. That's trust amazing. Those yeah. Trust those chills. They're the truth. You know, yeah, yeah. That's amazing, and the fact that it was Destiny's Child, whether the fact that you I know, know, I mean, right? right. <laughs> it was like Destiny right here <laughs> for right. you to have right. the concert yeah. that you. Since you don't like concerts, you had the next right. best thing. Yeah. Wow. It was amazing. But I mean, that was your life with him. I mean, that's so the book, Me and Mario, which uh, I just love it because I mean. I love the fact that you're so naive to a lot of the things that are going on because you weren't, you were a nurse. You were very much into healing and those were heroes and TV and film people meant no one to you. I mean, you were in the elevator with Christopher Walken and didn't even recognize it until I thought he was the doorman. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, I'm saying he was, not you hear these stories, but you don't ever meet people and you're like, and you get the second chance. Like, you you get other chances. So it's not like, you know, it's a right. one-off at the same time. But it's still a matter of you got the opportunity to live that kind of life of being a healer, seeing that, but then making the flip over to um, the other side of the world with, well, I mean, you said it was, he even says it's kind of a dirty business with publishing and just getting your book made and traveling around with that and then traveling around with Mario in the film world and just seeing the VIP life. But I mean, it blowing, it blows my mind even more knowing that you guys didn't speak Italian and yeah. with all you guys would have to deal with, and especially with all the Italian that's in the Godfather. Cause I had to rewatch it. Cause I was like a kid the last time I watched it, which now in 2021 yeah. eyes and knowing you were a feminist, I don't know how you dated someone knowing <laughs> that film was at the height of popularity. I, I mean, know. granted, a lot of times people are writing these films or performing these songs and they're nothing like their character. Like I interviewed Jeremy Piven. He's nothing like Ari Gold, Ari Gold which no. to my delight and, <laughs> and at the same it. time disappointment. This is what Mario used to do. Anytime yeah. there was a fight, because he hated to hurt anybody's feelings. So yeah, anytime yeah. anybody had a fight about something, he used to send me in first. And I would mm. say to him, aren't you the guy who wound up uh -huh. shooting up people on Robert Moses and everything? And he said to me, oh, no, that's not the man I am. That's the man I want to be. <laughs> No, I mean, he just I never heard him say anything unkind about anyone. I really didn't. Oh, that's, I mean, that's funny. amazing because, I mean, you kind of figure somebody that would be able to write about these different characters would have to be someone that can kind of live in that world and be, or not maybe live in that world, but just understand that world in a way where they could be almost like wallpaper in a way so they can get all those different stories. And, um, Mario it's was very, yeah. Mario was incredibly interested in humans, mm -hmm. all of them. He never thought of anybody as uh, less than, no, but even if they, whether they were educated or not educated or anything, he was very um, respectful. And he used to say that because somehow because of psychology it was much harder now to show evil and a really talented writer had to be able to show the subtleties so that people could recognize it when they could see it and he really for him the godfather was a metaphor for um, american business 
because he said the mafia, at least if they shot you, the old mafia, the romantic mafia, at least if they shot you, they take care of your family. Here you can have people working for a company for 45 years. They lay you off and you, you, they, you've lost face and you've lost your identity and you've lost your family. You've lost everything, you know. So he was very, um, he was really quite humanitarian. <laughs> Mm. He really was, he was really a very, he was really a very, very gentle man. He was very kind. In fact, when I said to him, okay, if you're not going to tell me if there's anything after life, give me something that's going to help me through life. And yeah. he said, okay, I will. He said, men are as simple as you think them to be. He said, don't expect them to be women, Carol, because if you expect them to be women, you're going to be disappointed. He said, because if a man tells you, if you say to a man, what are you thinking? And he says nothing. He's really thinking nothing. If you ask a woman what she's thinking and she says nothing, you know she's plotting. <laughs> like nothing good. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. He was funny. Yeah. He was yeah. very funny. Is no, a very funny man. So when you and, were, uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say. So um, I know in the book you mention a lot that he talks about the carpentry of writing, and then yeah. with screenwriting, it's it's writing short. And so I'm curious, yeah. what was the big differences in for you even? I can't write short. He tried to teach me screenwriting for a long time, and for me. The beauty is in the details of things, whether they're expressions or dialogue or, and uh, screenplay writing is an outline for me, you know, so I, you, and I guess maybe I'm more selfish. He was maybe more collaborative because you write a screenplay and like I watched what he did with Godfather 3 and it was really good and I watched what he wanted it to end like and I wrote in there chapter 32 how he right. wanted it to read. Oh, I and haven't gotten there yet. So You haven't? Or I no, no, no. I'm only, um, I'm at 31. Right. 32 probably is where I tell what he really wanted it to be. And you'll see. You've got to, you've got to tell me after that what you think. Because I no. know his ending would work. You know, so, But better. I know that the ending that they have now he did not like. So what was the big fight with him and Francis Coppola? Because, I mean, now looking fight. at the cast list, you can see it's like peppered with his family all over yeah. it. So, Well, yeah. no, he didn't even mind. I don't think he minded what you'd call nepotism as much. I don't think that was the problem. No, I don't think uh, so either. It's an Italian thing, right? To, yeah, to no, I don't think it was that. But what I think it was was Mario was afraid for Francis's daughter because he was afraid she would be criticized because mm. everybody would be looking at her, you know, compared to Winona Ryder who was supposed to do it. But Johnny Depp wasn't happy about that, so... That ah, so that's but, what happened uh, yeah and um so i think he was worried about that but he he loved francis because francis put godfather one and two on screen when i would say to him why don't you fight for what you believe and he'd mm -hmm. say no he says a movie is a director's medium i'll write my book where my name will be on it and when you like like even in Cotton Club, he wanted it to be a buddy movie like Sundance, you know, and uh, what happened is they made it different somehow, you know, yeah. and it became a gangster movie again. And he wasn't, by the time Bob Evans got through rewriting it and having his girlfriend rewrite it and all that stuff, it wasn't that at all. And I remember yeah. one day he said to me, pick up the phone and listen to this. And Bob Evans said, I've got an idea. And he said, what? He said, have the pavement fall out. And Mario said, for what? And he said, we just have the pavement fall out. He says, it's like, it's an ad adventure thing. So he said, so I have another idea, relationships. Mario said, see, that's what the movie business is like. <laughs> well, you know, it's the 80s. There was a lot of things going around in the 80s. Yeah, it was very weird. It was very strange. It was, strange. It was a very different time. I got it was, talking. Yeah. I'll never. 
strange, yeah. It was strange. But I did realize yeah. that there were, like Valerie Harper was the greatest. She was such a doll. She was mm. so for real. And there were many for real people. Yeah. There were many not for real people, but there were many for real people. Well, mm. what would you, what would be some of your advice for maybe beginning writers or beginning screenplays? I mean, because you got to see from... Maybe he didn't consider himself a, the godfather in Italy, but he was definitely the godfather, at least in Hollywood, for having somebody deals asked, done. You know, yeah, like somebody asked him one time. They said, "You know, you're a legend, don't you? How do you feel about that?" And he said, "I can't relate to it at all." Hmm. So he was very separate from what he did. Hmm. He wanted to be a literary writer, but like he said, and I think this is an important point that the failure of him as a literary writer, even though he wrote two books that they considered minor classics, he only made $5,000 on those books. So he had to sell out to write The Godfather. And selling it out was what brought him to his true gift as a storyteller. Mm -hmm. And so if we can hold tight enough to our dreams, if we can let nothing deter us from pursuing that, and if we can hope for divine timing and destiny, you can get to the place that you're going if you're called to be there. But in the meantime, it's so much better to live within your dream than succeed at somebody else's. Yeah. I mean, he, I don't consider it a sellout. I mean, it's not like he went and went corporate. You know, he's still a writer. Yeah. So I'm yeah, like, but what was wrote, it to him selling out? commercial book. He said, mm. this is some of his tips you want to say carpentry. He said, what I did is I read everything on the bestseller list. He mm. said, and then I took, I took the top three and I found out what was consistent in those three. He said, and then what I did is like if you read a book about Lincoln, it was on number one and dogs were number two and apple pie was number three. Then you write a book about Lincoln and his dog eating apple pie. He said, it's like that. He said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. he yeah. said, otherwise, why should your readers indulge you in your eccentricity? Why should they want to know your problems rather than have you write to their likes and their mm -hmm. lives, you know? And mm -hmm. so he was really talking about targeting your market, really. Yeah. You know? and mm -hmm. writing to fulfill a market, you know, yeah. but he now it's branding stories. and going to your audience as they yeah. would call it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that. Right. Instead of I all along kept hoping and just kept writing what I needed to write, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, getting the voices out of you. Yeah. Right? And at, like at one point, nobody in 86 was publishing angel books. They just weren't. So he said to me, well, you obviously don't want to be a missus for all the reasons that are in the book. He said, so why don't you be a mogul, start a publishing company? So I actually started doing independent publishing in 86, you know, because there were books I wanted out there that I didn't want to wait and I didn't want them tampered with. Like when I wrote the nurse's story, they wanted to call it the nurse's tale, but there was a whole lot of stuff around stewardesses at that time and fly me. And I thought, oh no, no feminist would go for the nurse's tale. It's too sexually loaded. So I can't say that. I had to fight so hard to change it. I said, they're not going to know Chaucer. <laughs> Let me right. have story. Right, right, right. So then, so then when you think back even now for yourself with how everything, like you're doing your book now with me and Mario that just recently came out, yeah. how much has it changed, do you think, as far as like being a writer, being a publisher, getting your book out there, finding your audience well, and so on? What advice would you I, give? I think this. I love, I love independent publishing, mm -hmm. but you gotta know that it's a lot, a lot of work. Okay, but I got like seven percent is the percentage I got with traditional publishing houses. Fifteen percent if it was hardcover. 
you know, so you got to know, you got to do more work, but this is a much better time to be a writer. There's a lot of junk out there, but if you're really good and you got to have an editor, you got to pay for an editor. That's the toughest mm. thing, you know, you got to get reviews. You got to learn the whole process. I want to do a course like on what Mario, I'm going to do a course on what Mario taught me about publishing and what I learned about, you know, what he told me about writing, what I learned about publishing and marketing, yeah. you know, so and that even people really can have deals. that voice. Yeah. Well, even you know? like in your book, you guys are talking about the different, he's giving you all this different advice on how to get what percentages um, right. like even your, um, the money that I can't think of what it's called now, but the money they give you beforehand before the book even oh, comes in out. Advance. Yeah. Your advance. There you go. Sorry. I'm yeah. like not residuals. That's the word I keep thinking. Cause I got a residual check today. It always happy right. day when that happens, <laughs> but <laughs> so, but getting yeah. advances and so on, or yeah. just, you know, there's so many different things I think for new people new to the industry or people they're just maybe they're just excited to just get their word out there especially now for women we don't negotiate for the rates that we deserve and just having a man help you through that negotiate through all of it especially someone that's the don or at least considered the godfather even though he hated it he, the yeah. reputation it worked I, okay yeah. well, that's <laughs> i'm sure he, he cigared he it out Bert of it feels he had Bert feels as a lawyer you know but oh, there you uh, go <laughs> the, but the fact is that i was lucky that i knew enough to get back my rights from mm -hmm. simon and schuster and harper collins and all those people so that all my books belong to me now so that i can self-publish anything i want you know and I even, I even got um, a piece of Mario's from the Godfather's Papers where he talks about um, his, his young writing before he ever got famous and how he felt about it and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to put that out. Uh, you know, well, what about, so wait, what about the nurse's story? What about Gwen? Go oh, wherever you're wanted. I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see. Do you own that as well? I own or that as well. Yes, I own that. So anybody who wants to do that. <laughs> yes. I wish I we knew people it. that knew people. <clears throat> yeah, I kept I kept that because I'm hoping for an enlightened woman or an enlightened man who believes in women. <laughs> like Hello Sunshine, uh, Reese's Witherspoon's yeah, company would know. be really great or Yeah. Or even, if they um, could array, make, like, yeah. and he said, Oh, this is what he gave me in his advice, Camille. He said mm. If you're going to, maybe it'll be worth something once I'm dead, Carol. But if you pitch it, remember to pitch it like this. It's the three musketeers and D'Artagnan. He said, <laughs> that's how you pitch it because that's what it is. Okay. Now I got to rewatch. Well, I don't know the last one. D'Artagnan. What was it? Artanian was the new the new musketeer, apparently. We'll have to go. I'll go watch the movie, too. <laughs> okay, because I looked even for um, when you mentioned that um, the Fortunate Pilgrim was the best writing he did about women. I was looking for that and seeing that Sophia Loren was in, and she's one of my favorites. Oh, yes, she did a great film this year, um, a beautiful or, a life, a beautiful life, a wait for life. I can't remember what it's called, but it's really good. It's an Italian, funny enough. Um, yeah. But um, when I saw that she was in, I was like, oh, I gotta find this. So I'm I'm really excited to see. Yeah, that, but also I just to see. I think yeah. I had to buy it on DVD or something like okay. that. It had they had it someplace, but I loved it. I thought it was really good. He didn't like it so much, I don't think. But mm -hmm. I think that was because Sophia Loren was his mother in this, and you know, I mean, uh... you don't want to see your mother in some of those positions, <laughs> <laughs> and especially someone as beautiful as Sophia Loren. I know. <laughs> he loved her. I know you don't want to hear anybody her. talking about your hot mom. Oh, I mean, yeah, right, I have a hot right. mom, so. I understand. I know. It was very funny. It was really funny. And I that was have a fun to say, like, The Godfather and even with you working on the family and different things, like, I, I noticed just from watching the movie, there's so many parts of it that are quoted in other movies, other shows, or even I felt like the way that The Godfather 3 ended reminded me so much of Game of Thrones Blood Wedding without going into detail on either if you've yeah, seen yeah. either of those you know what i'm talking about and 
but just so much of, I mean, so much of it, I feel like it's been reused, whether it's in music right. or just, it's just one of those like cultural yeah. icons and just knowing that you were a part of all of that and getting to travel through all of that and going to Monte Carlo and Cannes and just in niche and just. Mario there was great because the yeah. one thing about Mario, the thing about Mario that was great too, is he was excessive in everything. Yeah, he wasn't cheap. So, so, so what was your favorite? Yeah. yeah. It, anytime we went out to dinner, he would order five of everything hmm. so that in case you didn't like one thing, you could have another, you know, and stuff like that. Especially and, since he couldn't read the menu either, right? Might as well just uh, right. take a chance. <laughs> we couldn't. And he walked around with this big cigar and he'd just nod, you know, and everybody would be very, very, everybody would be completely, completely stunned by him and they'd bow and we wait till you see in that book. We we had to go into Sicily, and he made me walk behind him with the guide because he was just nodding, you know. And you could see all these old guys sitting playing bocce, and they'd all nod, you know, like that. Oh my God, it was hysterical. I mean, it was it was so funny. Yeah. All of it was funny, and it was fun, and it was, you know what. I think I don't believe in, in manifesting your life because my life was so much bigger mm -hmm. than I could have imagined it to be. Mm -hmm. I could not have. I mean, I went from welfare to Westminster Abbey. I mean, and when we got to see Shakespeare in Stratford-on-the-Avon and stuff, as we were coming out, Mario said, Phew, thank God we got that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so fun because he never forgot how mm. poor he was and he never forgot how holding a dream for long enough it would happen and he held his for long enough he was 48 years old before the god he got the godfather out oh wow so he was poor yeah. all of that time wow Wow, with five kids too. Yeah, and brought wow. borrowing mother money from his brother all the time. His mm. brother who used to take the subway while Mario used to take a cab to borrow money. <laughs> well, I'm glad he sold out, you know, yeah. for yeah. the record. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of the careers that were catapulted from that film, whether behind the scenes or in front, because I mean, like, I, I mean, like Nicolas Cage, like at the time, people didn't, he, since he used a different last name than his real last right. name of Coppola, like that's what I mean. Right. Like they're just peppered throughout there. Like you just can see so many different people related. I was curious with uh, with your family or even with um, Mario's, have any of them also ventured into the entertainment or publishing or writing or do they work with you as part of the team as well? Is there no, any well, truth to that as well? They live on Long Island, and I, he spent time. He was really good. He wanted to keep his family a real family. He didn't. He didn't like to mix that stuff, you know, and stuff. His daughter Dorothy is a director, though, and she did a couple of good movies. Um, but other than that, his kids—one's a lawyer—they really were very family to him. They all added to helping us write all that time, you know, because mm -hmm. they did, they took care of him. So we had a lot of time to work together, you know? Mm -hmm. And when he said to me, do you want, you want to marry me? And I said, Oh, I don't know. He said, do you want my name? I said, no. He said, do you want to live with me? I said, no. And he said, do you want to come over and cook my meals all the time? Fix my bed. I said, Mario, you out of your mind. And he said to me, do you want to be a writer? I said, of course. He said, you do realize in all of those things, the only thing you said yes to was being a writer. <laughs> so he said, so I, I said, well, marriage doesn't have to be like it was. We could have a new definition of it. And he says, yeah, but I listen to those answers, he says. And he says, I know you believe in justice and fairness. He said, if we play it your way, what's in it for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he oh, was saying that marriage, if women understood it, they wouldn't want to get into it or something. No. Like, yeah. 
No, he says <laughs> it's, it's a bad an bargain. institution. He says it's an institution and wives are owned. He said, and what would I do with a wild horse? But let me tell you what he did in the meantime, Camille, because this you're going to laugh yourself silly on. Three years he had me have an architect and everything else build up plans for a house we could have together with separate wings, east and west wings and everything for me and him and the whole bit, whether we were going to share a kitchen and the whole bit. Do you know it took three years for me to say to him, Mariel, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, even a $3 million house, I don't want to do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm and good. Said, yeah, but that's how he would do it. He was, he was a master at strategy, you know? <sighs> and the fact was, the great thing with us was, if one of us won, both of us won. It always was a win-win because one time, I was saying to him, I was fighting with him about something because he doesn't fight. He just would not fight. <laughs> and I would say to him, Mario, behind your obvious humility, you know what the flip side of that coin is? Your arrogance. And I ran into the bathroom to cry. And a couple of minutes <laughs> later, he came and he knocked at the door. And he said, Carol. I said, what? He said, honey. He said, do you know what the flip side of your arrogance is? I said, what? He said, more arrogance. And we both <laughs> fell on the floor laughing. <laughs> well, it takes some arrogance to be able to stand up against doctors, right? They have that God complex. God. And when you're fighting for your patients, a true nurse warrior right. like yourself, um, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But and I'm just realizing the time we went six right. minutes over. Right. We have to do this again. I loved every minute. So please tell everyone how they can keep up with you, where they can buy your books as well. And Easy, yeah. caralgino.com. That's it. Easy. That's my website. I have a couple of groups like Soul Star Academy. I have the Me and Mario page. We've got, but go to caralgino.com. That's quick. And I have a lot of stuff on there, a lot of pictures. Yeah. Oh, the picture. I love that you included pictures in here because yeah, I mean, yeah. I had so, yeah. So we'll, Wait we'll, you we'll read talk a lot. 32. Wait till you read chapter oh, no, 32. I just took my bookmark out. Well, I'll just have to start all over. No, I'm kidding. I just took my bookmark out, but I know I was in chapter 30, so yeah. I just started it. So it's when perfect. When you get to 32, talk to me. Uh, I'm going to talk to you before then, but I couldn't okay. talk to you before we went on air because we're friends in real life. I couldn't talk to you before we went on air because I was so scared that I would end up chatting with you and forgetting to ask it on air because... Oh, I'll think I already asked you because a lot of times we talk, we're on Zooms and so on. So now I can go to Zooms again yes, and not and you risk can focus. <laughs> not risk avoiding you for the fear that I'd be like, nope, I'm gonna ask her stuff. I gotta wait for I'm on air. Nope, I can't handle it. Because <laughs> you're this book is amazing, Carol. I mean, of course, why wouldn't it be? But this is my first introduction to because I'm dyslexic. So reading books, you have to be really interesting for me to do because it's like torture. I know. And it is. And this is fun. And it hits my ADHD because you're like all over. Like you guys really go to all these fun places and exciting. So I definitely recommend for those of you out there that are looking for a summer reading book or early spring or late spring. <laughs> Mario, me and Mario. See? Mario and me. Yeah. <laughs> me uh, and Mario, because yeah, she's a feminist, first. women first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hint, hint, Mother's Day is coming up. <clears throat> yeah. So um, thank you again, Carol, so much for being my guest. And yeah, um, I do believe The Godfather, for the record, is on Showtime if you're interested in watching it and catching up and finding out all the things that was going on in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> yes, yes. And where all these careers started. Uh, so thank you again. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Ciao, you. Bella. Yes. I, I don't uh, know what that means, uh, but maybe you don't either. You're right. <laughs> like, my, I, 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 like, I had this whole Italian thing I was going to say, and then you were like, oh, I don't speak Italian. Exactly. Right. Mario, like, you gotta be kidding me, because my mom speaks Italian. Right. <laughs> so, well, like a little bit from travels. Yeah. But no, my father was into you have to assimilate. Yeah, that's what they yeah. did to me when I moved to America with ESL. They told me I could only speak English, so yeah. that's all I speak now is English. Yeah, broken even. Oh, but, yeah. hey. 
I mean, you can't tell now because I went through speech pathologist, but yeah. Huh. So your dad was told that as well. Yeah. Yes. He told me that while he read me the Harvard classics. And to tell you, talk about arrogance. When I first heard Plato say something like, uh, the wisest man alive is the man who knows enough to know he knows nothing. When mm -hmm. I read it, I was like nine. And I said, hey, I thought that first. I had no idea that history. Well, you know, when you're young, you know, know. no boundaries, right? I and that's what makes it so beautiful that you really yeah. are limitless in what you can believe you're capable of. Right. So right? why not? Let's try it. Let's do it. It was totally plagiarizing you. Yeah. And it took me <laughs> 20 years. It took me 20 years to say, yeah, I got to tell people what Mario was really like because he really is a, a Renaissance man. And he really mm. was the kind of man you you would want today. You know? Right. Very because, rare breed. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And to like bring your girlfriend along, like... You, yeah. I mean, you say the exact same thing about Make-A-Wish, which is, again, the truth never expires, right? Or it has right. no expiration date. But right. it's just like, oh, what a beautiful thing to, or a sentiment to be like, oh, let me bring your girlfriend along and to have a great you, trip and show her. Yeah. Wait till you hear what he, when you read it in the book, wait till you see what happened. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I can't yeah, wait. because I don't. I, don't. I mean, it's fun. just excess and wonderful and just... All the Hollywood names that are dropped as well by accident. And oh, okay. I was like, I just happened to turn to a page and it was spelling productions. And on the next page, it said Coke. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what are the ads? But it's it's Coke making jeans. It's Coca-Cola, not the other kind. <laughs> well, Needless to say, there's a name on every page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> TMZ would love this book. <laughs> Or the shade room or all of the above. I mean, I know I'm loving it. So thank you so much for pinning it, for writing it, for living it and just yeah. really taking the risk with, I mean, who knew, uh, I mean, a Hellman's trick would lead to all of this. Right. <laughs> and it's so funny. You've ruined mayo for me, which is one of my favorite condiments next to barbecue oh sauce. Oh my God. I know. Which plug plug, um, nice barbecue company. Um, but yeah. So again, thank you, Carol Gino. It's been a pleasure. You, we will talk again. Yes. yes. I yes. keep wanting to say bye and then saying more. So I'll I'll really end it right now. Thank you, okay. everyone. See you. Thank you. Thank you for watching the E Spot with Camille. I am your host, Camille Cower. If you enjoyed this episode of the E Spot, please follow. Do a five-star review. Share with your friends. Make sure you subscribe. Whatever the new term Apple has come up with this week. <laughs> Do all of the things. Help this creator out. Thank you.